hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be going over tonight's Thunder Heat game and putting George Hill on our player spotlight. So, the Thunder Heat game. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. The Thunder are entering this game at 2-3. and three. We know they ended up putting up a stop to their three-game losing streak, defeating the Orlando Magic 108-299 in their last game. So they are finally coming off a win entering one of these. And for the Heat, they are also entering this game at 2-3. and three. And they are coming off an 83-93 loss against the Dallas Mavericks. When we're looking at injuries, the Thunder will have three players out for this game. We got the usual suspects. We have Ty Jerome, who's out with that left ankle. Timetable, we are unsure of. It sounds like Mark Dagnalt has kind of been hitting at some promising signs in his recovery. We do not have a set day yet, though, but I do think this is something we should be monitoring in this week. Also, we have Trevor Reza. No timetable as well. We all know he is dealing with some personal stuff right now, so he is not with the team currently. We actually have one new injury, though. Alexei Pokachevsky. He has a concussion right now. Mark Dagnalt said in a Zoom call with the media on Sunday that Poku had some sort of collision in Sunday's practice, so he will be entering the NBA's concussion protocol so what you guys should be expecting expect guys like isaiah roby and justin jackson to fill up those minutes that poku had been playing he has been playing primarily at the four he has had runs at that small forward position so maybe guys like kenrich williams may have an uptick in minutes or we can give two-way player josh hall some more time to develop on the floor he could be one of those dark horse candidates to fill up those minutes while Poku is in the protocol. For the Heat, they have nobody listed out as of right now, but they do have two people who are probable for this game. So we don't have any out indefinitely, just some who could. They are going to be some game time decisions. First off, you have their point guard, Gabe Vincent. It's probably like their third string dude right now. So the impact he would have on this game Pretty minimal, even if he was playing. However, Avery Bradley has been out for the Heat, and he did not even practice on Sunday. So on Monday, maybe they may give him a limited role, or he just may not play at all. The reason that he has not been playing is due to health and safety protocols. So do we know 100% that he is out for tonight's matchup? No, but with something like health and safety, maybe the NBA... Or the Heat organization swoops in and says, hey, Avery, you cannot play. He has been starting for the team while he was playing for them. Before that little health scare came up, he was starting for them. And he was playing big minutes. And he was actually putting up a solid amount of points for them. So if he is gone, that might be a pretty big blow. He's played four games for them, including one start. And he dropped 14 points in those four games. That is what he has been averaging. So he's a scoring threat that may be gone for this game your starters for the game okc side we kind of know what to expect it's going to be sga george hill lou dort darius Baisley, and al horford rounding it out on our side 
But for Miami, a little bit unsure. They have ran five different starting lineups so far this season. So they have swapped it every single game. I'm just basing this off of their last game that they played against the Mavs. They ran a lineup. Tyler Hero at the one. Duncan Robinson was their shooting guard. They had Jimmy Butler as the three. Iggy was playing at the four spot. And they had Adebayo at center. That is definitely subject to change. If Bradley's back, maybe we could see some movement around here. But that's what I'm going to mark it as for right now. Definitely subject to change. I think when we're looking at the keys to this game, number one, you need to be limiting Jimmy Butler. And the teams that he has played thus far have shut him down. He has only averaged 8.3 points per game thus far with the Heat. He has only played three. He was sidelined for two of those games, but still, he could not find the bottom of the basket. And despite Jimmy not being able to hit shots, the Heat are still sitting at two and three. So if Jimmy can chip in 20 points, 25 plus, I mean, we have seen him in this in the playoffs, really. Him and Tyler Hero, and I'd say even Duncan Robinson as well, were putting this squad on their backs and led them to the finals. If we get a playoff version of Jimmy Butler in tonight's game, guys, we need to watch out because. Even when he's not scoring a lot, the Heat are still winning games. If he's scoring 20-plus, maybe a nightmare for us. Another thing that we do want to look out for is just preventing the Heat 3. The Duncan Robinson-Tyler Hero duo is extremely deadly from beyond the arc. Both have been averaging double digits so far this season, and they're both sitting above 38% from three. I think Tyler Hero is around 38 and Duncan Robinson I think he's in the 40s, man. So we know there are some high volume shooters. When they get hot, they are not going to stop. If Duncan Robinson catches fire, he'll be seeing the three ball like the entire game and he'll get seven of those to go. That's just how Duncan Robinson is. With Hero, if he's feeling it, of course they're going to keep going back to him. They have so many options. They have Duncan Robinson. They have Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler. You got Bam inside. He's not really a three-point scorer, but you know what I mean. When someone gets hot, they're going to feed them. When we're looking at the three, though, as a team, the Miami Heat are really not looking that solid percentage-wise. 33% from deep, but like I said, they have so many X factors from beyond the arc. If one of them gets hot, it will become an issue for us. I think the third thing we need to look at, we need to be attacking Duncan Robinson. And really something that we do need to look at is where is Duncan Robinson going to be marked as in this starting lineup? He's been playing shooting guard, but he's also been splitting time at the three. And even there could be times where he's at the four. If he's put in the three or four spot, we can totally take advantage of this matchup. But I do want to Assume that he's playing at the two for this game. There's a two-step process in place to be taking advantage of Robinson in the game. And here's my take on it. Number one, we need to be opening up the paint. How exactly? It starts with Al Horford. Al Horford has been hit or miss from the three-point line all season long. But when he's able to get his defender 
to go outside and not linger in the paint? There's so much success we can find inside. Whenever the center's inside, Horford's jacking up a lot of threes, and if they're not falling, it's going to be a major issue. And that's when we kind of start falling a little bit. So it starts with Horford. If he's able to be consistent early on from three, and Adebayo or Leonard or whoever is out there has to step up, we're going to be in good shape. But this is a two-step process. And number two is we need to be setting a ton of Darius Baisley, George Hill high ball screens. What this is going to do is eventually, and this is assuming Robinson is the shooting guard with George Hill on him, eventually what's going to happen is Robinson will have to switch on Baisley. And if I'm seeing Baisley versus Robinson, I'm taking Baisley every single time. Whenever Baisley has the ball in his hands on a guy like Robinson, who, let's be clear now, Robinson is not a terrible defender. There was this little rhetoric going on last year that he just straight up was terrible at defense. Get that out of your head. He is a solid perimeter defender. However, I don't think he is going to be able to stop the physicality of Darius Baisley. One of the things that I love about Baisley is when he has the path to the lane, he's going to take it, number one. And number two is he is absorbing as much contact as possible when driving in. He's not being real passive. He's not trying to just avoid contact at all costs and maybe kick out before he gets rough down low. He's going to get rough down low, and there's going to be some bang-bang plays. Zion Williamson in the Pelicans-OKC matchup got two quick fouls at the start of the third. He went from two fouls to four fouls in five minutes. He was done pretty much for the rest of that game due to Darius Baisley. Just charging into the guy, creating that contact. The refs need to make these calls. And Robinson, an issue with him has been foul trouble. All throughout his career, that has been an issue. And he hasn't seen a lot of playing time on, on NBA courts until last season. But last season, he was averaging close to three fouls a game on like 28 minutes. And that's with shooting guards on him. With Baisley on him, this guy's going to be fouling out. Now, I don't know how many times we're going to see Robinson on Baisley, but every time we do, it needs to be exploited to the fullest. They have Andre Iguodala as the power forward right now, and he's one of the best defenders really in the NBA. He's getting up there in age, so maybe he's losing a step a bit, but he's still very solid regardless. If we're able to get Iggy on the hill and Robinson on a Baisley, we will have tons of success in this game. And obviously, you have people like SGA who's going to have Tyler Hero on him. In my opinion, I think this may be a repeat of SGA getting double teamed. Like in the first Magic game, not the one that we had on Saturday, the one on Tuesday, SGA was getting swarmed by defenders on screens. Autobio is way more athletic than Horford. He is going to be able to move up and get back on Horford if he's driving in or whatever. So he's going to have a ton of pressure on high screens with Horford involved. It will be probably a two-on-one at times. So I don't see SGA being able to get tons of shots off, at least high-quality ones. I think he will have to earn every single one of his points. He will not have any wide-open handouts. It's going to come down to a lot of these smaller guys. And that's why my final score prediction has the Miami Heat winning 
127 to 104. The Heat are going to be well prepped for this game. They just came off this loss against the Magic. They need to win this game. I know that they definitely are prepped for this. Spolster is a great coach. They have great players. Not even just the starters. Off the bench, you have Drogic. You have Kendrick Nunn. You have Myers Leonard. You got Precious Achua, their first round pick. Great guys coming off the bench for them. So they have a whole rotation who is very, very solid. And I expect them for all 48 minutes to be dominant in this game. I think the struggle will come with SGA not being able to have the ball in his hands. These other guys like Baisley and Dort will be stepping up. And I think they will have solid numbers, but it just will not be enough for the victory. For my scoring leader of the game, I'm giving it to Darius Baisley, man. I'm going all in on this little Duncan Robinson Baisley thing. And I hope like telepathically, maybe Mark Dagnalt hears me out on this. But if Baisley's able to get the matchup on Robinson, it's going to be easy buckets. Whether it's from the line, layups, pull-ups, I don't care. I like Baisley. I think he's going to go and be the team's leading scorer for the second game in a row. The next thing that I would like to talk about is George Hillman, and I am putting this guy on full display in this episode. I had a pretty long article on my website, Kyle Singler for MVP.com, breaking down George Hill's past game versus the Orlando Magic. You guys should definitely check it out. It's got clips from the game. A lot of analysis from that game and just my thoughts about him. I'm kind of going to be summarizing that here. So if you want more of a description and more of the visuals, that's where you guys should be headed. But yeah, man, he has been so, so solid for us. Not just in that one game, but in every single game he has been playing for us this year. The expectation with George Hill was kind of weird. Like I did not expect George Hill to be this good for us this early on. He's already 34 years old, and he ended up coming to us in that Steven Adams trade. Like, it was George Hill, Darius Miller, Kenrich Williams came along. We had Joshua Gray and Kenrich Williams, or not Kenrich Williams, sorry, Zylan Cheatham. Those were the two that we ended up waving from that deal. We also got a Denver 2023 protected first in two seconds, but just looking at Hill, man, it's kind of like one of those add-ons like to make money work. That's what I thought to begin with. I knew he was a solid veteran, and I thought he'd be a good backup point guard behind SGA, but not. I didn't expect him to be the starting shooting guard for us and to be a very, very good one at that. Through five games in the regular season, George Hill has been averaging 15.3 points per game, 2.5 rebounds, and 4 assists in just 25 minutes a game. I would like to put a little asterisk here though. Out of those five, we know he had to sit out, or yeah, he sat out in Tuesday's matchup versus the Magic. So he's only played four games, but in four games, 15, two, and four splits are great. And the best part about it is his efficiency is crazy. He's shooting 56% from the field and 45% from the three-point line. And just to remind you guys, the season high on three-point percentage last year was 46%. And who was the leader in that? It was George Hill. 
His performance versus the Magic was my favorite one. That's why I kind of broke this down. In that game, he had 18 points, one assist, and five rebounds on 7-12 shooting. Nick and I were raving about him in our post-game podcast from uh, the last time we did one. But yeah, just starting out with shooting, man. Like I said, he was 46% last season in three-pointers. And what ended up happening was he was shooting 46% on three attempts. So it was a little bit smaller of a sample size, three attempts. That's not a lot. For reference, Duncan Robinson last year of the Heat, I believe jacked up like over eight a game. So he wasn't shooting a ton. However, at 46%, that's very, very solid. This season, so far, he's shooting 45% on five attempts so he's getting amped up on the attempts and really 46 and 45 man like i'm not really gonna knock it that much i i kind of would prefer 45 percent on five attempts than 46 on three attempts like not even kinda absolutely because he's shooting more and that means he's gonna be hitting more if he's shooting more anyways some of the stuff that i was loving from uh george hill thus far when it comes to shooting in the catch and shoot, really good stuff. And it's not just George Hill doing these plays. Dagnalt is creating some extremely, extremely good play sets that end up happening in the half court offense. It operates with SGA, Al Horford, and George Hill. Now, George Hill is kind of just lingering. He's that catch and shoot dude. The play would start out with SGA and Horford. SJ's kind of lingering around like a wing or something. And then Horford swoops in for a high pick and roll. Now, Horford is kind of just waiting to read his man. So is SGA. Everyone's reading that guy, that the center on the other team. If the center on the other team is looking to help on SGA, if he comes up on this screen and just doesn't stay grounded in the paint, this play is a go. We got two guys on SGA. The paint is wide open since Horford and the center are gone. So Horford slips in, looks like he's going to the paint, stops around the free throw line. SGA dumps the ball off to Horford. And what does George Hill's man do? Because in this play, you got SGA starting on one wing. The other wing has Hill. The closest defender to Horford is Hill's man. So Hill's man is going to try to rotate and play some help defense. That's where the critical mistake comes in. Comes in. Hill's going to get a wide open catch and shoot shot because Horford's obviously going to pass that thing. Hill's not going to miss. So the playing concept here is so, so good. And we have seen it more than one time this season. If he's left open, it's going in every single time. Like, I don't even remember a George Hill open three that he shanked. You know what I'm saying? Also, just other stuff. I mean, defenders are kind of sagging off on him nonchalantly. Like, do you not realize how good of a shooter he is? I don't know. Whenever he's getting sagged off on, the Thunder guards are doing such a nice job of finding Hill. And it's not just the guards. It's really everybody across the board is finding George Hill open for these shots. And he is going to be making them. One thing, though, if we're going from that three-point range, Ticking it down to the mid-range game. Very, very solid thus far. Al Horford, been dominant in the high pick and roll. With SGA, he's been good. 
with Maladon at times, I know they hardly run with each other, but there were spurts where he was decent there. And then with George Hill, he has also been great. And people are undervaluing this. People are just looking at him as a guy who shoots threes and doesn't play that well on pick and roll defense. He's an excellent screener and he's a great rebounder. On these high pick and roll screens, he's getting people to kind of bite now. Um, when guys are going up and trying to help, you know, that's when we are able to get those easy drives. But let's say the defender stays back on this play, the center stays back. Horford's setting this high pick and roll. The guard is going to get caught up every time. And George Hill, he's going to step in and have an easy two points right in front of him. Got a great mid-range look. And he actually hit one that I just described like this. He hit one in the Magic game on Saturday. It was a 19-foot pull-up J. That thing's going to go in every single time. One trait about him that I have loved that, truthfully, I never knew about with George Hill is how good he is at cutting to the basket. There have been times where defenders are kind of caught ball-watching on SGA, and SGA and George Hill are always in close proximity to each other. That's something that I would like you guys to look at in this game against the Heat. Like, whenever Hill and Eshier are together, they're not on the opposite side of the court. They're together because they know the potential Eshier has to drag defenders in is so high, and that leaves guys like George Hill, who are criminally underrated, with some wide-open shots, and this is what has happened. Hill's camped out in the corner. Eshier's camped out in the wing. Hill's defender gets caught ball watching. He's trying to play the passing lane while also stepping up a bit on SGA for help. SGA realizes this, that the defender's a bit out of place. is going to drive to whatever side the corner is. He's going to get that double team. The pressure's going to be applied. And what's going to happen? There's going to be a clear cut to the lane for George Hill, he's going to run baseline, he's going to get the ball, and he's going to have a wide open layup. And hypothetically, let's say that the center is still right down low. It's cool because it's a two-on-one situation. You have George Hill and the center against the center. Hill's either going to go up for a floater, pull a midi, which he is great at, or he'll go up in the air and then pass midair. And that's going to be an easy bucket for the center as well. So two-on-one situations when Hill's driving, it's going to go in the Thunder's favor, I'd say, pretty much every time. I mean, there are going to be those exceptions where the defender just makes a crazy play on the ball. But George Hill's a smart guy. He knows what reads to make in those situations, and I would put my trust completely in him. And another thing with George Hill on these cuts, he kind of likes doing his mic like the Mike Muscala impersonations. With Muscala, his best trait is in fast breaks, he purposely stays behind everybody and waits for these plays to kind of break down and materialize, and then he finds the holes in the defense. Like, Muscala will stay behind the half-court line and pretty much walk his way up the court until everything starts happening. And then he runs up to the top of the key, no one's guarding him, and that's how he gets a lot of his points. With Hill, he has shown he can also do that as well, there was a play in the Magic game where Hill was kind of camping down in the corner, 
I think it ended up being a four on five situation because Marco Fultz for the Magic was like tying his shoe or something. I don't know what he was doing, but he was out of the play. Four on five, you got two guys on every corner, two guys at every wing, SGA taking the ball up. There's a hole here because Fultz was guarding Hill. No one's guarding the corner where Hill's at. You got to look at the wing, the guy defending the wing. Is he going to help out on both guys? No, he doesn't. Okay, let me wait for SGA to get up a little bit more on the court, and then I'm going to bolt inside. Whenever this paint clears, and whenever SGA gets past the timeline, cutting in, I'm going to have a layup. Does just that and gets the easy points. He has such high IQ when it comes to reading defenders around him and kind of just sensing whenever it's time for him to make these moves on the cuts. He is not waiting around. He's not just going to stay stationary. He's always going to be moving. And what it ends up leading to are those plays where he just gets two easy ones because his defender is caught ball watching or caught slipping. Hill is very, very good on those cuts. Another thing, passing. Passing, he's always been a very good playmaker. He's averaged 3.2 assists throughout his career. Doing just as well in his 12th season, man. He's always looking at other defenders and seeing the opportunity when a play breaks down. A lot of times, he's in the pick and roll, he's getting screens, and he's waiting for the middle to open up. He is perfect in the pick and roll because he is such a great passer out of that. And whenever somebody's rolling in their space or there's a mismatch, he will hit you up. And you're either going to get two free throws or you're going to get like a layup or a dunk. He is just that smart with it. And he's able to drive people in. Like even with SGA at a smaller smaller capacity, I'd say, Hill is still able to penetrate and bring in two guys. Like Hill is extremely fast for 34. We saw this with, um, with Corey Brewer whenever he was playing for us, like, Dude was extremely fast for his age. George Hill is on that exact same level. He kind of shocks you um, just at like the athleticism he still has at that age. But yeah, takes full advantage of it. He will take you inside and drag people in. Great in the pick and roll. Great at kicking it out to people outside. All around, just a very, very good decision maker. And then... You got pick and pop situations, which I didn't even bring up. I got I told you about Horford and Hill having that connection. In the pick and pop, he knows when he needs to dump it off to Horford. And there have been times where people like SGA, I don't want to name call, but it is what it is. SGA has had times in the games where he gets a good high ball screen, he drives in, and Horford's left at the top of the key. Nobody's defending him, and he just doesn't look over there. George Hill senses this kind of stuff and he just knows where everybody is around the court and he'll find the open guy. Great spatial awareness, something that's very, very underrated in his game. And just something else, he's all about the hustle plays. He's diving for every loose ball. He's sprinting up and down the court. There was even one play where there was a transition for the Magic. It was going to be a two-on-two anyways. And Michael Carter-Williams is bringing it up. George Hill pulls like a Usain Bolt. He's sprinting as fast as he can down the court 
to try to poke this ball loose. And Carter Williams seemed like he was going full speed. On television, you wouldn't be able to tell because Hill was just that fast. He was from one end of the court to the other in like split seconds. So he paces down there. He swipes that thing loose and gets the steal right there. Those are the plays that we need to see. And whenever he's doing the dirty work, whenever he's going for the loose balls, whenever he's going for the steals, that's going to bleed onto some of these younger guys. He is kind of their mentor right now, and he needs to be that good veteran presence for our players. And I think he's done an excellent job with that. We have seen numerous times throughout the preseason and the regular season, Hill kind of giving out pointers. There is specifically a video from the preseason where George Hill at halftime with Poku was kind of just pointing out like, you know, this is how you should be shooting, just giving him pointers on that shot for him. Um, as of right now, I don't really know what the status of those lessons are. But yeah, I was helping him out there in that preseason game. He's on the sideline kind of coaching these guys, coaching the younger guys. There's Instagram posts. I think it's like Zach Beaker or something. He's a great um, photography guy who's at the Thunder Games. He he snaps pictures of like George Hill talking with Poku, talking with SGA. He just seems like he's all over the place. And he wants these younger players to be absorbing all the knowledge that they can and just improve their game for the future. And let's be honest, he really does not need to do this. He's 34. The intentions are kind of clear that, I mean, the timelines aren't really lining up. Like, Hill's a great player, and I think he's going to become a fan favorite. But Presti's wanting to deal these guys out for as many assets as possible, and it's going to suck. But there will be a time where George Hill probably gets a jersey change um, by this season. So it's going to be a blow. And he doesn't need to be telling these guys this because it's not like they're in the long-term future with him, most likely. But he wants to do it anyways. This is a class act guy. I love George Hill. The perfect dude that we need for this team. And I am overjoyed that we were able to snag him in that Steven Adams deal. Now, looking at just George Hill in general, like it's not just us who have fallen in love with this guy. As you guys know, the Brooklyn Nets, um, they kind of have an injury issue on their hands. Their point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie, suffered an ACL injury, and he's out for the season. So the Brooklyn Nets do need a backup point guard for them. George Hill's great, and he would be perfect for the Brooklyn Nets. There was a tweet from Brian Windhorst of ESPN that the Brooklyn Nets were looking into potentially getting George Hill. And one thing I do want to say with Brian Windhorst is he kind of likes just saying every single rumor that's possible. And whenever one hits, he likes kind of telling everybody about it for a while. So whenever he's giving out these rumors, you do not need to be taking them completely at face value because you know there's so many rumors swirling around only so many happen a lot of these deals come out of nowhere like for example the Steven Adams deal George Hill coming to OKC I didn't see any rumors like happening with that one until it happened 
A lot of rumors are going to be going around on George Hill. I think this one does make sense, though, and that's why I felt the need to address it. But as of now, with his role in the Thunder, he is doing an excellent job for us, and I cannot wait to see what the future holds with him on our team. But other than that, guys, I have nothing for you all. I thank you all for tuning in to today's podcast, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day. See ya.